Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a color man. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. It's a nasty, rainy Monday here in downtown Syracuse. What better to do than to talk ball? And we're going to do that with you over the course of of the next hour just got our travel itinerary for the ohio state basketball trip we're leaving tomorrow during the show so no show tomorrow that means we've got lots to jam into our hour-long discussion today we'll talk uh, acc with tom wormy of the acc network coming up in a bit we'll rehash the boston college game and the uh, regular season coming to a close for syracuse football with a nine and three record can look ahead at the bowls uh, certainly in general at this point. Maybe i get into more of that later in the week. The bowl assignments will be made a week from yesterday, Sunday afternoon. We will know where uh, Syracuse is headed in a bowl game and uh, have a lot more clarity about that and the opponent and all that good stuff. And a week from today we'll be talking about a potential, not a potential, an actual bowl matchup. You can join us by phone if you'd like at 315-437-7644 or 315-4ESPN44. Do you get frustrated by the bowl projections like you do? I, I don't know if you do or the NCAA tournament. It's impossible to project these things. Like everybody's trying to guess uh, what bowls. I would say I would argue it's more possible yeah, to project bowls than NCAA tournament because it's more or less spelled out which conferences and about where the pecking order is. And but and I've seen thing. Sun Bowl. Yes, I've it's seen, not Sun Bowl. I've seen ESPN had us in the Sun Bowl. No. I've seen Detroit and I've seen New York and Orlando. Yeah, I don't think I think the win on Saturday got you out of the El Paso, Detroit, Shreveport, Annapolis realm. I think if Syracuse had lost, they could have been in that mix but headed to pinstripe. They could still go to pinstripe with this win. Orlando looking a lot better, looking pretty good. I wouldn't call it a lock. Orlando has historically taken the team that's highest ranked, and they've got the first pick after the playoff. So that actually bodes well for Syracuse. What doesn't bode well for Syracuse, we've talked about it in recent years, in recent weeks here on this show, now that we know the Orange are going to a bowl, is Syracuse doesn't always punch at its weight, meaning you're not going to always be selected in the slot where the team finished on standings based on the perception that Syracuse doesn't travel well as a fan base or sell tickets. I don't think this year that necessarily is going to come into play for a number of reasons. It's an exciting style of play. It's a resurgent program. It's new blood. It's a coach that people recognize. It's a quarterback that people recognize. So there's a lot of things that are arrowing up for Syracuse football and a number of items that might round up or give them the benefit of the doubt. Orlando's still a possibility. You have to worry about you know, from what I heard, this is before the game on Saturday, talking with somebody who kind of deals in these things, and they said, well, I hear Orlando, they want to remake the backyard brawl, Pitt and West Virginia. If I were Orlando, I'd see that too. Well, this yeah. is pretty cool, right? Yeah. You got a great game up there. Let's bring it down here in the sunshine. Be great. Well, Pitt got blasted, was not competitive in its last game against Miami. 
Does that mean that's off the table? No, not necessarily, but I, I think you move it out. NC State could go to Orlando. They're going to have a soft nine wins. They won on Saturday last second against North Carolina, a team that fired their coach right after the game, a fight on the last play of the game and all of that. So NC State right now is 8-3. and three. That's not the most gleaming eight wins of all time based on the schedule they've played. Syracuse has a head-to-head win against NC State here in the Dome, but the Wolfpack went ahead and scheduled another game. They've got East Carolina this coming Saturday. They're likely to win that. They'll be 9-3. and three. They have a larger uh, fan base closer. Now they could go to Charlotte. They could go to Orlando. So we'll see. If Orlando sticks to what they've done historically and take the highest-ranked team available to them in the CFP rankings, then that's Syracuse. Uh, Syracuse is going to finish this with the poll coming out again tomorrow night. Is going to have a higher number, a better number than Pittsburgh, a better number than NC State, second only in the conference to Clemson. So ought to be in good shape for Orlando. I would say it's not a given, though. It's fun to talk about. Uh, it's interesting what, the way you phrase that, Polly. like, am I sick of the bowl projections? And I'm not. Not that I've been super into it. I'm not sick of it, in part because it's so new. We're, yeah. You know, the basketball bracketology is an every year kind of thing here at Syracuse. If the team's really good and clearly a cinch to be in the field, you're talking about seeding. Can we get to Buffalo? Can we be a number one seed? Can we be a two? Who are we going to match up with? If the team is on the bubble, as it's been recently, how can we get in? What's the resume? And there's been years where you felt like they should get in and they didn't. There's been years where you thought maybe they wouldn't and they did and all of that. Bowls, you know you're in a bowl. It's not any drama related to that. You know you're in a decent bowl. You know it's only a selection of a handful that you can be slotted into from the ACC. You have a pretty good idea of the opponent. So I think those are uh, easier to predict. Uh, you know, Right now, I think it's fair to say on Monday the 26th, Syracuse will be in a bowl against an upper-middle-of-the-pack team from the Big 12 or the SEC. Now I guess pin, uh, Pinstripe would be Big 10, so it could be Big 10 as well. So when you look at those types of opponents, the West Virginia, the Iowa State, the Penn State. Michigan State. Yeah, those are the same realm of teams that, that fall uh, in that neighborhood. So uh, I think that's kind of what you're looking at. I, I, I think anything else grossly outside of that would be an understatement. Now, Boston College thinks they're going to El Paso in part because that's a bowl that doesn't overly concern itself with ticket sales. They historically have sold tickets to that game. It's New Year's Day in El Paso, very well-supported locally. It's one of the bowls that's an anomaly in that ESPN has nothing to do with it. It's been a CBS bowl for decades and and continues that way. So that's that one. Um, You know, Detroit, Shreveport, I think those tend to be your entry-level bowls. That's when you, you know, in Syracuse, they're they're not entry level this year. They haven't been in a bowl in a bunch of years, but they're not entry level because of the eighth and ninth wins. And uh, so I think Orlando uh, becomes a, a possibility because of that. I think people also look at the the pinstripe bowl. They look down on it because of what it was when it was affiliated with the Big East. It was the bottom of the Big East was going, and now. You're you're yeah. third, fourth in the ACC. Yeah, it's a the pinstripe bowl is a good bowl. Yeah, the only the only reason to be down on the pinstripe bowl from a Syracuse perspective is 
not just been there, done that in terms of the pinstripe bowl, been there, done that Yankee Stadium yeah. within the month, basically. It's a 40-day gap between the Notre Dame game and that. Well, that's the only reason to be down on it. And you can just as easily be up on it, right? It's New York. It's familiar. You know your way. You know where you're getting your tickets. You've been there before. You can. So there's there are some positives uh, of that. I think for, you know, and again, I always say this, beggars can't be choosers when it comes to, to bulls. I don't think Syracuse, as long as it's not outside of the circle that we're talking about here, I think if you wind up in Shreveport, you got a beef. If you wind up in Detroit, you got a beef. If Syracuse winds up in the pinstripe bowl, I don't think there's anything you, you don't moan about it, really. I mean, it's just sort of uh, maybe not as special as um, some of these other bowls would be. And that being said, there is some special element to it in that, it's pretty cool to be favored by the Yankees. It's pretty cool to be sought out as you know, basically a home team in a New York game. So I think you know the Pinstripe Bowl is always going to have a, a important connection for Syracuse. You could do a whole lot worse. Let's put it that way. And uh, and the Pinstripe Bowl is a very good thing. I think this particular year, in the idea of ending this season somewhere warm. I think the uh, the chances of that are uh, pretty good and, and maybe better than anticipated, certainly better than anticipated at the start of the year. Well, what we saw on Saturday, it was funny talking about just fan chatter, Polly, because we all have our Thanksgivings. And, you know, for me, the Thanksgiving chatter is, you know, here's your mashed potatoes. Is Dungey going to play on Saturday? <laughs> and I went up to Eric after the game on Saturday and said, boy, you made me look like a doofus, you know, to my own family, which is, doesn't take much. They probably already think I'm a doofus. Because I was saying to everybody who asked, no, I, I would be very surprised if he plays on Saturday. I saw Eric walk off the field at Yankee Stadium the previous week. I saw him get helped on the plane and off the plane. I saw him put in a, spe- in a seat on the plane where he didn't, have to wear whatever his row assignment was. He wasn't in that one. He was in one with extra leg room and and given some extra care on the on the flight home. And Dino Babers, when we visited with him as late as Wednesday morning, to me very much had the tone of it's going to be a bonus if he can play at all. That he was focusing his week on preparing Tommy DeVito to play and talking about how Dungy could get by on minimal practice. And that was the tone, if you recall, in our pregame interview. That was the tone that I brought to the show last week after uh, visiting with Babers. And that changed, and Dino tells us how it changed over the course of the practice week. He came out the early part of the week, and he just didn't look like much. And I can't remember if it was Wednesday or Thursday. He he did something on the field that looked like old Eric, and it didn't look like he, he thought about it. He just reacted. And I called him over, and I said, how is your back feeling? And he says, Coach, it's feeling better. And as soon as he said that, all the hair on my arm started standing up. And I said, we're going to win. We're going to win. And uh, he just kept getting better and better. And uh, I apologize if it made it look like he wasn't going to be able to go because he, he really uh, accelerated his health in the last part of the week. And I don't know if – I don't think Dino was saying he apologized to me or to the listening audience or whatever for not getting that exactly right. But that was his comment post-game on Saturday, giving you a little bit of a feel – for what happened, and that was as representative a Dungy game as there's ever been. He ran for three touchdowns. He threw for three on his second rushing touchdown, and I neglected to ask him uh, post game, did he fake out his teammates there? Was he the only one that knew he was going to fake a handoff and and belly his way uh, into the end zone? His third rushing touchdown is actually stepping right over a safety and an all conference caliber player for Boston College. 
to tie Floyd Little on the all-time uh, Syracuse rushing touchdown list. He second left him behind, on the turf. Yeah, second behind uh, <laughs> Walter Reyes. And yeah, he was planted. That was Will Harris is his name, the, the safety for, for Boston College, was just completely run over by a quarterback. So that was impressive. His two touchdown throws were right on the money. The other one was busted coverage and uh, a deep one to uh, Sean Riley. So uh, that was as dungy a game as it gets. He shut everybody up. He, It's funny because he carries himself like he's got doubters. He really shouldn't have a ton of doubters, to be honest with you. But he carries himself like he's aware of the doubters. He makes an effort to shut up the doubters and uh, certainly did it on that day. And it opened the door for something truly special for this uh, upper-class group on the team, including Dungey. Really excited for the community, really excited for the alumni, really excited for these seniors and this football team. And we're all appreciative of that, but I can still remember when we ended that thing last year, the last game I believe was Boston College last year, I believe. And and uh, I just had – it was a feeling about this 2018 team that they were going to be different. And Lord, Lord behold, here they go. And they've got nine wins with an opportunity to do something that hasn't been done in a long time and get 10. I was talking to the team the other night, and I said, I've been in it 35 years. I'm pretty sure I've only had five. I've only been a part of five teams that's won 10 games, and that's that's once every seven years or or once every two recruiting classes, and it's, it's very, very rare in college football, especially if you're not at certain schools that are able to do it all the time. So uh, this is a really special opportunity. I'm happy for the seniors. I'm really happy, happy with the opportunity that they're going to have in the next bowl game. Well, there's been six 10-win seasons in program history. Again, he didn't play enough games until relatively recently to have that many cracks at uh, 10 wins. But uh, 1987 team, people know, and the 1959 team both won 11 games. The Orange uh, won 10 last in 2001, also in uh, Coach Pascaloni's first two years, 92 and 91. And then with uh, Coach Max, very talented team back in 1988. So that's what's in the offing here with a chance to win a 10th game in a bowl. We'll talk about that as we get closer, but they're also maybe playing their best football of the year. And the bowls are so different. Now you've got the 15 practices, which are important for improvement for next season and getting the younger players better. But a bowl game in college football is unlike the regular season because of the lead-up time. There's weeks and weeks to prepare for it, uh, bridging over a holiday break and, and all of that. Uh, so we'll uh, cross that bridge when we come to it in terms of bowl preparation. But Syracuse will be going into the bowl hot, having won five consecutive conference games. And uh, their only loss in that period, the second half of the season, to an excellent Notre Dame team that had a slow start but was able to overcome that against USC to win. So two of the three teams that beat Syracuse this year haven't been beaten by anybody. And uh, the other one is in the conference championship game, Pittsburgh and Clemson. Uh, Pittsburgh a heavy underdog Saturday in Charlotte. We'll talk about that with uh, Tom Wormy of the ACC Network coming up. I just wanted to remind you that at one point this season we took calls of benching Dungy. Yes, to be fair, to be fair, there was one call that sticks out. It was pretty prevalent. I mean, no, I'm saying that the sentiment was there, but I'm saying one call, both of us sticks in our mind saying, you know, because again, it's a different uh, type of sports fan than I think we are probably, but and we had some some fun with it, but the caller said specifically, if Eric Dungy, not Tommy DeVito, starts the NC State game, I will be disappointed. And we hope he's gotten over his disappointment <laughs> uh, as the Orange have gone 5-1 uh, and one, uh, 
from that period on as Dungy threw a complete game in the NC State game and won it and uh, played very well and has had uh, other moments where he's played well since and has led his team to victories and to, in his case, uh, many individual milestones. He's one of just four quarterbacks in the country, and two others are Mackenzie Milton of Central Florida and Dwayne Haskins of Ohio State that uh, has thrown for three touchdowns and run for three touchdowns in the same game. Bench him. (laughs) And so, you know, that's not to say pro prospect and all this other stuff. You know, again, we can discuss that another time. But uh, Dungy has his job, deserves his job, certainly has come out of this uh, smelling like a rose. And uh, the various individual accolades will come. I did my uh, all-ACC ballot yesterday, which is, I would say it's a labor of love, except I don't especially enjoy doing it. I think that those things are kind of hard. Uh, to do, and we, we might walk through it with uh, Tom Wormy later, but I think you'll see that be an orangey kind of ballot. When that when that comes out in the end, we're used to around here having zero or one all-conference players. You're going to see some orange on that ballot, uh, or that final results this time. Eric Dungy's definitely all-conference. Chris Slayton's all-conference. The two kickers, Andre Spent and Sterling Hoffrichter, are all-conference. So that, that's four players at minimum. And then another guy I didn't mention – Seth alluded to in the uh, Player of the Week announcement in his Sports Center, Andre Sisco. The guy has seven interceptions. He leads the country. You could say, well, low hanging fruit or opportunistic. Well, he's doing something right. He has seven freaking interceptions. So he has a shot, certainly on the all freshman team in the conference. Uh, they do, I think, a freshman defensive player uh, of the year. And so he would have the inside track on that. You know Trevor Lawrence, the offensive freshman of the year, probably uh, from Clemson, the quarterback there. So we'll touch base on that with uh, Tom Wormy later in the show. Your calls are welcome at 315-437-7644. Come back to hit on a couple of other items, including the NFL weekend in review as we roll along on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the booth on ESPN Radio, brought to you by CH Insurance. Syracuse sports are underway, which is good to know. Things are kind of wrapping up with the fall season. Honorable mention to the uh, Syracuse volleyball team in oh. the NCAA tournament for the first time ever. We don't talk a lot of volleyball on the show, Polly, but uh, congrats to... Uh, it's not a very co- East Coast sport. Coach, is yeah, it? it's, it's not. It's, it's not, not a weather conducive. In fact, the ACC doesn't even have a tournament. The, the games are indoors, you know that, right? Yeah, I know, yeah. but it's just... Okay. It's not quite as fun anymore. The best player, well, one of the best. They've got several uh, good players. Santita Abongwase, she's from Rochester. I they believe you. S- several other good players that are from Russia, <laughs> where they uh, play it's a lot of those indoor sports. It's also not conducive to outdoor well, again, volleyball. The, but they, this, is, this is indoors that they're just, playing. I'm just being a gay. Six players. Six. I'm indoors. a fan of the beach volleyball. Beach volleyball is excellent. And that is also a new, uh, that one's a new NCAA sport. Regular volleyball, indoor volleyball is not new. So will I be finding games at uh, Green Lakes or any th- time anytime soon? The Syracuse. Uh, no, do you think that'd Green be their Lake home court? It's the only beach I can think of. Uh, that's, a really, that's a really good question. What's happening at um, these schools is they're building them. I saw the one at Stanford in the springtime. They're nowhere near. You know, Stanford's not on the water, uh, but they're pretty cool facilities. What What do you really need? I mean, it's just a. Uh, a Six, a beach volleyball complex to have. They have simultaneous matches, so it's going to be six courts. So it'd be like a bar. 
but uh, no, very nice yeah. looking bar. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, trappers. Trappers, but <laughs> no, but there's level. six of them in a row, and then uh, they're all uh, lined up parallel, and there's uh, chairs for the officials, and uh, very sophisticated. But they'll put in the palm trees and the whole thing to to uh, deck it out. I think LSU just added it. Florida State, some others. That's a good game for uh, a time when we don't have a lot of other things to talk about. If Syracuse, how would they do facilities if they would, added sports that they don't currently have? <laughs> beach volleyball facility. You know, you could go up on Sky Top and build a great beach. How great would it be if Syracuse was like a beach volleyball power? That would be cool. It'd be unlikely, but cool. Former uh, volleyball standout Casey McTavish hit the pro volleyball scene. I believe you. Okay. All right, let's uh, get to some of the uh, weekend highlights. And this one had some uh, serious fallout. I got in the car just as this was happening on uh, K-Rock. John Murphy just going berserk as uh, there's a fight in the game. It seemed to spark the Bills as uh, they were hosting Doug Marone and the Jaguars and the uh, Bulls, uh, Bills uh, able to uh, pull it out in a kind of a resurgent game for Josh Allen. Allen sets up deep, seven-step drop, fires it deep, looking for Foster, makes the catch at the Jacksonville 40, scooting on the right sideline, he's going, he's going, he is in! Touchdown, touchdown! A 75-yard strike from Josh Allen to Robert Foster, touchdown Buffalo. Allen threw for that touchdown, also ran for one, but a lot of that was in the aftermath of a fight that took out two of the best players in the game, uh, Shaq Lawson of The Bills got into it uh, with Leonard Fournette of the Jaguars, and Fournette obviously is a beast if he's taken out in pretty much any trade you win, and uh, that's how it went down. It obviously had uh, ripple effects for the uh, Jaguars' offense that we can talk about. Here's the snap, and Bortles wants to throw it, looking down the left sideline for Moncrief, goes up, comes down with it, makes the catch inside the five-yard line, and he's in. Touchdown, Jacksonville. He outfought Levi Wallace for the ball, and he gets into the end zone for the touchdown. Now a little scrum down on the goal line there with D.D. Westbrook getting involved with uh, Micah Hyde. It is a Jacksonville touchdown. Now players from both sides. Now what some the of whistles. players throwing punches down there. Well, it's getting ugly. So, some ref down there is going, oh, they must just not hear me. I'm just going <laughs> to keep blowing this whistle, and uh, then they'll they'll put their arms down and we can, can move on. But then that – Apparently, showdown continued all the way back into the tunnel. Uh, the Bills did a nice job of calling the game and also keeping an eye on that. Sal Capaccio, the sideline reporter, was like, yeah, they uh, got it close to a shoving match all the way back into uh, the locker room tunnel. In fact, they had to sort of stuff Shaq Lawson into the Bills locker room so that uh, he and Fournette wouldn't go at it uh, behind the scenes in that one. So the Bills, with a win, Doug Marone today letting go of Nathaniel Hackett, who is his offensive uh, coordinator and or quarterback's coach, going back to his time here at Syracuse. So uh, Nate went with him to uh, the Bills and then on to the Jaguars. That had to be hard for Marone to do. Those two have been together a long time, have had a lot of success. And uh, Hackett's a really good guy. He's the son of Paul Hackett, who is an NFL head coach and a bit of a mentor to Marone as well. So that's not good. The Jaguars are on a skid here and uh, needing to make some changes. They've got a very talented roster. It does not look good for Marone, uh, the season they've had. So uh, see if they can get that turned around. The Giants socked away a bunch of field goals, had a big early lead in Philadelphia against the Eagles, but uh, that would go to waste on a last-minute field goal with Philly winning 25-22. But a big highlight 
And uh, Sha- uh, Saquon Barkley, folks, is uh, an all-pro player. He's going to be one for a long time. Barkley takes a handoff, slashes left, runs through a tackle. Barkley still on his feet to the 30. It's a foot race, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Giants, Saquon Barkley. That was an awesome run. He got through the line, into the hole. There was about three eagles around him. He just had a kind of a quick sideways step and then a burst uh, straight ahead. Just uh, a really talented player. You can debate whether it was proper to draft him where he did, but whoever got Saquon Barkley was going to have a very good running back, and uh, he's going to be awfully good for a long time. Terrible interception thrown by Eli Manning at the end of the first half of that game. Uh, That came back to cost them a little bit because if they got three there, then a field goal uh, would have only tied, not beaten them at the end of the game if it all played out the same way. And uh, another loss uh, for the Giants in what has been a lost season. Your Steelers, Paulie, in one of the big games of the day, Steelers and Broncos out in Denver. Steelers remain on a roll, right? Well, they lost. Oh, they end up losing. Yeah, they gave that one away. Too many. They turned the ball over twice on the goal line, and it was awful. They're, they're not trustworthy. Fumbled going in, right? Right on the yep. goal line one time. Fumbled yeah. through the end zone. I, yeah. uh, I I like to be a Steelers fan, but this team just doesn't seem to be quite right for some reason. It's uh, Well, the whole Le'Veon Bell thing has to throw you off. The past two games on the last plays of the game, they've been confusion between the quarterback and running back. And yeah. You just can't have that. So if they make, they'll make the playoffs, I don't see them getting much further unless they get their... Uh, boat righted. Okay, right so, that boat. Yeah, I was gonna say ship, but I didn't want to say. I don't know why I got scared that if I saw yeah, might say the, the wrong might, thing. Might, uh, They're now uh, seven, three, and one. Yeah, uh, and still atop the division, fourth in the seedings. The wild card position right now is uh, the Chargers and the Ravens. And the Steelers play the Chargers next week. It's amazing if the Bills still wind up on the in the hunt graphic at four and seven. In the NFC, you've got. Arguably the two best teams in the league. Rams, Saints. Rams, Saints. Bears are really good. Cowboys have turned it on. Vikings eked one out last night. And then the Redskins. Uh, I think that gets shaken up a little bit. Hope to have Cam Lynch on uh, before the, the week is out. The Bucks are 4-7 and seven and under the uh, in-the-hunt category. But if you're three games under 500 right now, you better go. you got to get things uh, turned around. Some teams have easier schedules than others. The rest of the way. All right, time out here. Back to uh, do do we care with Tommy, including a uh, intriguing potential hire in the ACC. And uh, Tom Wormy of the ACC Network will join us to wrap the show. You're listening in the booth on a Monday on ESPN Radio. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No way. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care anymore. So Mac Brown. The former coach at Texas during their championship days is emerging as the front runner for the the North Carolina head coaching job. He actually coached in North Carolina from 1988 to 97 and is actually part of the 2018 College Football Hall of Fame class after being with ESPN for the last five years. So he's looking to get back into head coaching, apparently. I wouldn't phrase it that way. He's he's not going anywhere else. Although his name did come up. I'm trying to think what job. His name did come up in the last year or so for a different type of position. This is the only one that he would actually uh, leave for, in my opinion, or, or he would be a, actually considered a candidate for it because of all the good feelings he has associated with him there, because of the connections he would have with the people of Carolina, the boosters, 
the conference commissioner, uh, the dollar figures that they have there, the coordinators that you could bring in. He would be a CEO-type head coach uh, in the way that I think Herm Edwards is, and, and that has turned out to be successful so far at uh, Arizona State. If they could get top-notch coordinators, this is a pretty good move. I could see this uh, working. Carolina fired Larry Fedora. They owe him $3 million a year for the next four seasons. So that's deep pockets when you can pay 12 to your old coach and bring in somebody like this. Uh, this is not, I guess, a done deal just yet, but I could absolutely see it happening. Mac Brown is 67 years old and five years out of coaching. Do you think that could possibly be an issue for to get back into it? Nah, yes and no. I mean, that's one of those things where those are not in and of themselves factors that inherently make you an unsuccessful coach or not wired to coach. Those are things that come up once somebody isn't. There's all kinds of reasons you can not be successful. Sure. Uh, and those are types of things that tend to get pointed out if it doesn't work immediately. But no, I think hire a good staff. I think he'd be a very good recruiter. He's a good motivator. He would coach the coaches. He'd be a very good fundraiser, business guy. Uh, he's a fit for Carolina. So I, I could see this. Are other schools going to be in the habit of doing this? No. You know, is there a long list of people that were great coaches at 67? He's not starting, though, at 67, sure. 68 years old. Uh, he's been around the block, and uh, this is one where you aren't just hiring Mac Brown. You're hiring Mac Brown. You're committing to top-notch assistant coaches. Um, but I, I, th- I think that's one where you, you certainly have to consider it for Carolina. And I'd go so far as to think – they have a pretty good idea who they're going to hire if they're going to get rid of Fedora. You know, Fedora's, Larry Fedora is by no means uh, Vince Lombardi, but to eat $12 million for a guy who's not going to coach for you, you better have a pretty good idea of what you're doing it's, there. Yeah, it's uh, pretty much a done deal, according to most reports that I've yeah. seen. So, And I, I think Brown has had the type of connection, you know, with the ADs and people like that where this all could have been in the works. And it's not like you're flirting with another school and, and taking their coach away. He's He's been at uh, ESPN. so And when a guy's involved in that much and travels around and, and whatever, that's not really out of coach. He hasn't been uh, hanging drywall for the last five years. So could he be an active college football Hall of yeah, Fame coach? Yeah, college football, college football Hall of Fame lets everybody I mean, in. I mean, it's not like five years, that's when you come no, on the ballot? Stop. No? We've I mean, it, it, might be, it, it might be, but who, yeah, who cares? Yeah, it's not like that in college basketball, yeah, but, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, there's but you got to give it, back, you know, like, yeah, yeah. There's people in the Hall of Fame that are yeah. coaching and basketball and, and everything else. The, the, uh, I would say the College Football Hall of Fame, and this is no disrespect meant to <laughs> friends of mine that are that are in it, is they're catching up here. They're bringing a lot of people in, and certainly uh, Mac Brown deserves to be in. Texas hasn't been the same since Mac Brown left, so maybe UNC can get back. Um, the Panthers' safety, Eric Reed has been randomly drug tested now six times within the last two months, believes that he has been unfairly targeted by the NFL. I need to do that with the employees here. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be Diet Coke tested. He'd be in that big-time trouble. Yeah, he might have a case. I I don't know uh, closely enough to know, but um, certainly he's not flying under the radar of the NFL. He actually has an active collusion case with the league right now because he went uh, unsigned throughout this offseason and was obviously... Uh, with uh, Colin Kaepernick in those those kneeling, um, those kneeling also times, did, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Um, and and Hugh Jackson, he was coaching against the Browns yesterday as the special assistant to the Bengals. They were blown out thirty-five to twenty. Browns defensive back Demarius Randall picked off uh, Andy Dalton, and when he ran out of bounds, Hugh Jackson was right there. So Demarius Randall handed him the ball. 
So, sort of a sign of maybe a little disrespect, I would say. I would think so. I, I know people were talking about it yesterday. I didn't see the actual video, and you'd have to know what, what's in his head. But sounds like there's not a lot of love lost for Hugh Jackson among the uh, among the Browns here. Yeah, Baker Mayfield, one of those people that not happy with Hugh Jackson's decision to go to Cincinnati Bagels, an in-division rival who they play twice a year, seemed to kind of stiff him at midfield after the game. We didn't want no, no part of talking oh, to his, you know, his former head coach. That's totally fine, except that can't be your grounds. If you didn't yeah. like him or didn't get along with him, didn't think he was a good coach, totally fine, Baker Mayfield. When you can fired, have that. you can do whatever the hell you want. hundred percent. That's why. That's what happens when you fire somebody. You've lost any say-so over what they do, and why wouldn't they hire him if if they like his skills and feel like he can help even in these two games? Why wouldn't they do it? What are you asking them to do? Oh, gee, I can't go work for you because uh, we used to be rivals or whatever. He doesn't work there anymore. And that's what comes into consideration with the timing of firings, the uh, timing of trades. It's why you don't trade people in your division in baseball and in football in a lot of cases. Uh, that's it's part of the deal. That that should go into your decision-making process on firing him. On the balance, of course he should have been fired. Although it's kind of weird to now that he's actually winning some games, right. they fire him uh, after winning one game the last uh, couple of years. So uh, I don't have a lot of uh, sympathy for Baker Mayfield in this case. And, uh, you know, he's a young pro and a good he's a good player, but uh, he can move down the road with that. All right, thank you, Tommy. Yeah. Back with Tom Wormy of the ACC Network to wrap the show next. This is ESPN Radio in the booth. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Back in the booth on a rainy Monday here in central New York. Good to have you with us. Good to be joined by Tom Wormy as well as we get a little overview of uh, the ACC year in review now that the regular season has ended. Tom, good to have you on. And uh, I'm sorry our time is limited here a little bit as we've been yakking away because uh, (laughs) (laughs) there's some good stuff to to rehash here in the week of the championship. Yeah, no problem, Matty. You know, I was filling out the uh, all-ACC ballot uh, yesterday, and, you know, I guess from team success come those individual awards. I'm not, I don't know if you're supposed to vote for your local players or not, but they they put, they, they uh, allow them to be uh, selected in the list there. And I think you can make the argument, you know, for Syracuse, for and they've gone years without having people in all-conference uh, consideration. But you look at Eric Dungey, on offense, Chris Slayton on defense, perhaps Andre Sisco or one of the linebackers on defense, and the two kickers, I think it's hard to look away from them. It's just been great to see everybody flourish under the system, experience sustained success uh, this year as opposed to the two previous years under Coach Babers where you get that signature win, but you have a little trouble validating it. And to return to a bowl game, so many great things happening this year. And my most fond memory has to be that double overtime victory against North Carolina, which which may have just changed the trajectory of things for the season after a couple of tough losses prior to that, which we also did the overtime game at Pittsburgh, too. So well, what a great season and, and well-deserved accolades for those players. Uh, I assume you did probably the same thing yesterday, right? Did you go through the, the, the balloting process you think of uh, – player of the year in the conference is that uh travis Etienne uh, of clemson hands down or no i i guess uh numbers wise and success wise i mean they they did go undefeated after all this year mm-hmm. um they had their share of a little bit of controversy there at the quarterback position but it's funny it's it's as far as the players who maybe we thought prior to the season might be the candidates for that award i'm not so sure those guys emerged uh christian wilkins obviously a huge part of that 
Clemson defense as well, and his name was in the mix there too. Also, uh, Eric Dungey, what a what a tremendous season! I mean, and that's coming back from that game that I just referenced against North Carolina, where he was not in there, Matt, as we well know. Right at the end of the game and in overtime, yet they still won. Great team victory. Uh, I don't think there's one player that stands head and shoulders above the rest, and maybe based on the success of the Clemson Tigers, you'd have to go uh, the ETN route. Well, certainly, uh, Dungey found a way to cap it, you know, with a flair. And for somebody that travels oh. around, in your case, going from uh, one campus to another every weekend and you're looking for drama and you're looking for good television, he certainly provided that on the weekend. Oh, he was, it was just tremendous uh, just to see what he was able to do, the rushing TDs, the passing TDs. I was at North Carolina for the State Carolina rivalry and we had some drama there in overtime and we had a little bit of a scuffle in the end zone at the end of the game, but the coaches did a great job to calm everybody down. And, you know, that's played with very high intensity and um, a lot of history and tradition there. And for Syracuse's sake, it was great to see them re- rebound after last year's game because we did that game in the Dome at the end of the season last year against Boston College where the outcome was not favorable for the Orange. And then they came through with such a tremendous performance against the Eagles, which has started to slide just a little bit after maybe peaking this season. There's no doubt about it. Tom Wormy of the ACC Network is our guest for another minute or so as uh, the Orange with their ninth win on Saturday sent uh, BC with that loss to 7-5 uh, and five on the year, changes the, the bowl fortunes. And I guess that's the next most important thing here that we're looking at is how this all slots out for the bowls. And we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I guess uh, – Last thought for you, Tom, is maybe going into uh, this championship weekend down your way there in Charlotte. Nothing to gain, really, and everything to lose for Clemson. Everybody sort of expects that they're in that number yeah. two spot. They're heavily favored. I don't know that uh, Pittsburgh is equipped to put up much of a fight in this one. Yeah, Pittsburgh didn't put together their best effort at the end of the season also. But um, Ben Arduzzi is a fantastic coach, but this is going to be a very much uphill climb for the Panthers against the Tigers. But we've seen this before. Virginia Tech played them tough a couple of years ago. Two years before that, North Carolina was an onside kick away from having a chance to tie them up in games that we thought Clemson would dominate. Now, they did last year, certainly against Miami. That game was over pretty quickly. But I think overall for the conference, you've got 10 teams that are in the postseason. They've qualified, and also Virginia Tech can join them with their game against Marshall. So right now, as it stands, that's 31 teams in the last three years, Matt, going to bowl games. There's no conference that can boast that number. (laughs) That's uh, an incredible number, and some even gaming the the system here a little bit. A little pad for uh, NC State as well this weekend as they look to get their ninth win. They've got East Carolina. So uh, the schedule machinations by the uh, ADs have been impressive. All right, Tom, let's do it again (laughs) when we have a little more time, okay? Yes, hey, Matt, thanks a lot. Best of luck. All right, we'll see you on the road. That's Tom Wormy of the uh, ACC Network. Wanted to uh, address with him some of the early basketball starts, which have been very good as well. Syracuse is off to play Ohio State Wednesday night. Ohio State just came out number one in that new uh, ranking from the NCAA, kind of a precursor to not really the RPI anymore, but the system they'll use for tournament selection. They're off to a 6-0 and start. That game is 7-15 Wednesday night. For Paulie and Tommy, thanks for listening today, everybody. We'll talk to you Thursday in the booth on ESPN Radio.